Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. Okay, so I'm going to be doing our reading, and then John will be doing the, the preaching. So our reading today is taken from Mark 9, Mark 9, verses 14 to 29, so you can follow along on the screen behind me, um, open your Bibles on your phone. Okay. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around him, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in a crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. We are continuing in Mark's gospel. And today's sermon is called, Put Your Butt Away. Okay, I'm sorry for your immature pastor. Okay, there's one T, not two, so I know what you're all thinking. But I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them, put your butt away. Okay, okay, there's Kevin in the back over there, Kevin giving us a wave. Okay, I want everybody to turn to Kevin and say, Kevin, put your butt away. You can... You guys aren't going to forget this sermon, I tell you what. In our passage, I'll I'll tell you where I'm leading with this, okay? We have three people in our passage. We've got Jesus, who is full of faith. Uh, We have the disciples, who seem to have be lacking in faith or have no faith. And then you have this desperate father who who comes to Jesus and is, is, boy, is demon-possessed. And he's just desperate. And he seems to have some faith, but yet he lacks faith faith. He's in that middle stage that he has faith, but he has doubts. 
And I feel like the human experience for us all that are followers of Jesus are, we're in the middle. We're in that but stage. Like a lot of us, we have, like we struggle with doubt. We struggle with doubt, yet we believe. Like we're not usually like the disciples who seem to be just lacking faith altogether in this passage for whatever reason. And then we don't seem to be like Jesus, just overflowing, full of faith. But we seem to be have faith, but doubt. And, and to me, that's something that we just struggle with. We want to trust, yet we struggle with anxiety. We have hope, but we struggle with despair. We want to live in a full, robust faith and follow Jesus, but we struggle with the patterns of sin still in our lives. So how do we put our butts away? How, like the desperate dad in our passage today, how can we move from this middle ground in our faith to having this overflowing faith that we find with Jesus in our passage today? And as humans, we want to tend to see in order to believe. But understanding doesn't usually come that way. That um, Aslam of Canterbury once said, it's, it's faith-seeking understanding. Or as St. Um, Augustine once wrote, he wrote, faith is to believe what we, what we do not see. The reward of faith is to see what we believe. And so often I think it's like we want to put the cart before the horse. Like we want to just see it and we want a miracle. We want that. And we say, if we just see this, then we're just going to believe. And I can tell you as somebody that's prayed for people, I've seen people experience a miracle and then we never see them again. in, in on, on like the next Sunday that people can literally see a miraculous sign and yet we never have an ongoing relationship with Jesus, it just it, it, it starts with a basis of, of trusting, of having faith in Jesus. But how do we get to that point of trust in our lives? How do we get to the point of being like Jesus? Well, in our passage, Jesus comes down the Mount of Transfiguration. That's where we were last week. That's what we talked about. There's this amazing mountaintop experience. Like the glory of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is not just a, a rabbi. He's not just a teacher. Right? He is the Son of God. And he has this amazing, glorious moment where he's shown that he is greater than Elijah. And he's greater than Moses. He's bigger than the, the Hall of Famers. Right, And there's just this amazing mountaintop experience. And the disciples, they come to understand that Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a guy doing good things. That he is the Son of God. And the Father is well pleased and that we should listen to him. So after this, they're, they're on their way back down the mountain. Right, and, and he's taken, he took Peter, James, and John, his inner core three with him. And as, as they are going back down the mountain, Jesus sees this, this crowd. And there's this argument going on. You've got the scribes who were like the religious teachers. And they're having an argument with Jesus' other nine disciples. There's like this big commotion going on. And Jesus is wondering like, what has happened I left you guys just for a little bit. Why, why is, what is going on here? And so the crowd, they see Jesus, and they're like, well, he'll get it. And they, they just seem to run over to Jesus right away. And they're like, and, and they're like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They're, they're kind of just this overwhelmed kind of this feeling. They're kind of like in awe of Jesus. 
And, and Jesus is asking, what is all of this about? And from the crowd that's surrounding Jesus, a guy steps forward. It's this desperate father. And he comes to this desperate father with his son who is demon-possessed. And the dad says to Jesus, he says, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Now, if you're in the medical profession, or a lot, and a lot of scholars think, this is a type of seizure, right? This is... This is, um, he's having, uh, and it w- a multiple, if I understand it, that multiple seizures is a, is a epilepsy. Uh, that he seems to be having like, kind of like an epileptic kind of fit uh, um, here. And the demon is causing this. And uh, it, it doesn't mean for us today, if you have seizures or you have an illness or you have, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have a demon. But in ancient times, the, 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 the world had a better understanding of this connection that there was uh, the demonic and disease. And if we think about it, the enemy is the only one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you think of something like terrible, like Cancer, for instance. Cancer is about the most evil thing ever, right? It, it, that, that we still don't have an answer for it. We still don't have like, you know, um, like, oh, just take this and, and you'll be okay. You know, sometimes disease is, is just part of the enemy's plan. And, you know, it doesn't mean that always there is demon possession. But in this case, there is a demon that is taking hold of this young boy's life and causing him to have seizures. That the, the biblical times, there was a greater understanding. There, there was a, a, the disease and the demonic had an overlap. So the dad goes on. He said, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Which is very strange because if we go back to Mark chapter 6, Jesus gave the disciples the authority to drive out demons. So in this passage, we learn that there are, there are demons that are somewhat harder to cast out than other demons. And the disciples somehow come to this demon and they don't have the power to get rid of this demon, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Jesus says this word, these words, which are kind of rebuking. He says, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. You know, I think at this point in the story, Everybody is frustrated. Jesus is frustrated, obviously. You unbelieving generation, how much longer will I be with you? The disciples are frustrated. They tried to cast out the demon. The father is frustrated. He brought the boy looking for hope, and they weren't able to cast out the demon. And the scribes, the religious people... The religious teachers, those people are always grumpy. So it's just given those, those guys are always frustrated. They, they're, the, they're the most frustrating people of them all. So this is a very frustrating passage. 
Have you ever had a faith experience or have you been like on the journey of faith and you've been looking for a breakthrough? You've been, you've been on that journey. You feel like you've just been doing all the right things and, and, going, and, and you just are frustrated. You're like, why is God not bringing the breakthrough? Why is he just not bringing an answer yet? You know, you're not alone on that journey if you've been frustrated in your faith before. I think all of us go through that time where we just, we're frustrated. We're frustrated. And I think Jesus is frustrated because, a little bit, because his disciples lack faith. His disciples don't. And there seems to be this correlation between faith, the, 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 the amount that you believe, and how much God is going to work through somebody's life. It seems like the greater the faith, there seems to be a correlation between the amount of faith somebody has and how much power God can use in and through that person. Also, I think Jesus knows that his time is coming to a close. That Jesus has already said several times in the Gospel of Mark that he's going to go, he's going to go and die on the cross. That Jesus is, is going to um, be betrayed, he's going to die, and he is going to rise again, and at that point he's going to be with the Father. So his disciples, he knows that he's, his time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter here on earth. And his disciples, they're not ready. <laughs> they are not ready to take over and, uh, and go and do the kingdom work that Jesus was doing. Remember, that's what a disciple does. The disciple is supposed to become a rabbi, right? They're supposed to take over the, the work of Jesus. And they're going to do that in Acts chapter 2, which we'll, like, we'll learn later, that, that being full of the Holy Spirit, they will continue the mission of Jesus. But at this point, they don't look like they have it together at all. And so Jesus seems really frustrated because he knows his time's coming to the end. But when Jesus sees the Spirit... Uh, it says in the text, it says, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So the demon couldn't stand to be in that holy presence of our Lord. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? It says, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. That's what the enemy wants. That's what the enemy wants for our life, to kill, steal, and destroy. And what's interesting, what we find out from this passage is that sometimes in life, that the demon possession uh, happens today as it did in ancient times. Uh, that, that demons uh, can get a hold of people's life. And in the West, it's just, it, it seems to be um, not as obvious as it is in someone developing countries. Like, the, the devil is very clever in, in how uh, he works. Uh, there is still demon possession. And, and there are things like uh, Ouija boards and tarot cards and going and seeing a fortune teller. And there are people in our world who seek out the darkness for, like, magic. And they, they do it to seek power, and, and they have fascination with it. And when this happens, like when you open yourself up to darkness, darkness, you, you make a gateway for darkness to enter your life, that somebody can get demon possession. We had a girl in my confirmation class who played with a Ouija board, and our pastors then had to cast the demon out of her. Like she 
like weird things were going on in her life. And our pastors at the time, our two pastors went to her home and they had to pray uh, for this demon to, they had to command this demon to come out of this girl that, w- that was torturing this young girl's life. I can remember it from my days in confirmation because we were like, what? This stuff's real? We were mind blown. But also we learn in this passage that demon possession can, not, can sometimes happen by not necessarily anybody doing anything wrong. It just happens to show up in a person. That we learn that this happened to this boy from a very young age. And so um, Jesus, uh, and what we learn later is that he will command uh, this uh, demon to come out. But the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And whether it's demon possession or it, whether it's trying to destroy your marriage or your kid's life, it, the, the devil is only out for one thing, and that is death. His job is to bring chaos and destruction and deceit and lies into our lives. That's what Jesus called him. Jesus called the devil the father of of lies. And that's what he wants to bring. He wants to bring destruction in your life. So don't be fascinated with the darkness. Be fascinated with the presence, the pure presence of Jesus in your life. Moving on in verse, uh, on the back half of verse 22, it says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us, the father says. If you can, Reply said Jesus, almost kind of like, uh, you know, uh, kind of, you think I can't? Like, come on, I'm Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. I believe, but... Haven't we all needed to pray that prayer? God, I want to believe, but I need more faith. Increase my faith. In Jesus, there are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. All things are possible when we have a robust faith in Jesus, a mature faith in Jesus. And this, again, this passage seems to point at the connection of power and belief. Verse 25, it says, when Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, they just seem to be running everywhere, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, if you remember the story of Jairus' daughter, where Jesus uh, raised this young girl back to life, this young boy was not dead, and kind of the Greek uh, text emphasizes that. uh, She was not dead, but is as if she or as if he was dead. So he's not necessarily dead, but it looks as though is he kind of lifeless. And I think the, the author, Mark, John Mark, who, who wrote this gospel, he's, he's been hinting at a bigger story to come, that, that Jairus' daughter was raised to life. 
Okay, this boy that he, he's not dead, but he is raised, right? It looked like as he was dead and he was raised. And Jesus will die on the cross and he will rise from the dead. And for all of us who put our faith in Jesus, that we know that death is not the end, that death has lost its sting, that our hope is in Jesus, that, that Jesus has overcome the grave, that not only one day we will die, everybody has to do it. One in one person dies. But also, for those who believe in Jesus, we too will rise. Mark is pointing us to the resurrection of Jesus. It said, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, we couldn't drive out the demon. Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. That Jesus is, seems to have the power to, to drive out this stubborn demon that the disciples did not have. But the interesting thing about this passage is that Jesus never prays. I looked through the passage several times. I'm like, where's that prayer at, Jesus? Where did he pray? Jesus didn't pray in this passage. So what is Jesus talking about? This one can only come out by prayer? Well, if we go back to last week, Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. That Jesus didn't pray as a, as, as, on the end of the battle. He prayed before the begat, battle ever began. In fact, if you trace Jesus' habits, his lifestyle through all of the Gospels, it's usually Jesus coming off the mountaintop where he spent this intimate time with the Father, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then moving in that Holy Spirit, in that power of the Holy Spirit, to do what the Father was doing. That's what John tells us, that, that, that John's Gospel says that Jesus only did what the Father's Will was, that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. But how did Jesus do that? Because he didn't just pray when he needed it. Jesus lived this lifestyle of prayer. I don't know about you, but my prayer life sometimes ends up being only conversations with God when I need something. Like it, it comes on the back half when the battle's already waging around me. But Jesus seems to have this power and this authority because his life is just soaked in the Father's presence. It's, it's a lifestyle from him. So I want to ask you today, what is your prayer life like? Is it just a, is a Sunday morning experience? Is it maybe just at Connect Group? Or do you just have this on, on, always going on presence of Jesus or, or time with the Father just soaking in his presence? Do we just pray for, for things at, on, the, on the back end uh, when the battle's all around us? It doesn't mean that God can't still answer those prayers. Or are we going into our lives in the authority of Jesus? Are you moving in that power? Every day, my kids want to go for what's called a gator ride. If, you're not, if you don't know what a gator ride, I'm not talking about the animal. I'm talking about a John Deere gator. Like my kids have a, a kid-sized John Deere gator, and they fight every day on who gets to drive it. I should have bought two. It would have been worth the money to buy two of them. Um, and every day I get home from school, they ask to, I want gator ride, gator ride. That's what our youngest Lucas says, gator ride, because he's learned to drive it even though he drives it into the tree. 
Like, it's safe enough. It doesn't go fast enough. So it's great for learning, right? So hopefully he hits the tree now instead of like, you know, later on. So I remember what I was like when I drove when I was 16. So hopefully he's learning better habits than dad. But um, he's actually pretty good too. But every day they ask and they're always full of excitement. It's like the first thing they want to do and the weather's been great and let's go outside instead of watching TV. And guess what? Every day dad forgets to plug in the battery. So this vehicle that was, had this potential for excitement and movement and power is rendered useless because there has not been a connection. You think dad would learn to plug it back in. Sometimes I do. But isn't that so much like our lives every single day, right? We step into the situation, yet we haven't had the connection to the Father's presence. The potential to move in the power of the Spirit lies in our connection with the Father. And for, his, for Jesus, his power and authority came from that constant connection that Jesus, that Jesus was able to command that stubborn spirit out because the power was already flowing in and through him. He, had, he didn't just pray. He had a lifestyle of prayer. But we tend to be more like the disciples, right? We pray mostly out of a prayer of desperation. I believe, but I believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. But it's from a place of intimacy that Jesus strengthens our faith. As we spend time with him, he, like the father did to Jesus, he affirms our identity. He calls us sons and daughters. He fills us with the power of the spirit, which raised Jesus from the dead. Right? And it's all as we spend time in the father's presence. There's this flow of power and grace that moves from an upward relationship always to an outward relationship. It always starts with that connection up with the Father. The flow of grace is always up and and in in community to out in the world. Jesus is our source of power. It gives us full trust in God. Think about it as a relationship. If I was only to talk to my wife, if I was only to connect with her, if we were like passing ships all of the time in our marriage and we just lived like that constantly for years, do you think there would be a lot of trust between Esther and myself? I think it would be really, really hard. And I know some couples, like, that's what they have to do. But, like, it's, it's spending that intentional and those spontaneous times together where that trust is built. It's the foundation of any relationship. Why would it be any different with our relationship with God? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But if I'm really honest, it's really hard to connect with God in a very busy week. Sometimes it's infrequent and sometimes it's unregular. But if we want to have a life like Jesus, if we want to pattern our lives like him, if we want to have a life like Jesus, we have to adopt a lifestyle like Jesus. That's one of my favorite quotes by John Mark Comer, which I say over and over and over again, because I think it's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So how are you connecting with him in your week? 
Because if I'm honest, Sunday mornings aren't enough. Connect group, honestly, is not enough. It takes a daily charge of Jesus, an ongoing charge to connect and stay connected to the source of life, the source of power. It doesn't mean that you'll eliminate every single uh, doubt in your life. Doubt is not the opposite of belief. Having doubt means that you're just human. You're just human if you've got some doubts. But it might just give you enough uh, faith to have a mustard seed worth. But last time I checked, Jesus said you can do an awful lot with just a mustard seed of faith. Jesus says in our passage, everything is possible for the one who believes. The message translation puts it this way. There is no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. Stay close. Stay connected to Jesus. Anything is possible. Demons get casted out. Addictions are broken. Lives change. People grow into a mature faith. Forgiveness and reconciliation can happen. Marriages can be healed and become healthy again. And the one who kills, steals, and destroys has to leave the presence of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Anything can happen with a deep and robust faith. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Jesus, help us to overcome our unbelief. And as a response to today, I don't know what God's going, doing in your life, but we're just going to listen to God. Um, as we come, we're going to take communion here in a minute. But don't leave this space without what is God saying to you? How is he trying to get your attention? What nudge is he giving in your life? And what are you going to do about it? What step of faith are you going to implement in your life? We hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.